Today, I'm continuing to teach on a subject that I've entitled, Don't Limit God. And I've got a brand new book out on this, study guide, uh, CDs, DVDs, but this is entitled, Don't Limit God. And the subtitle of this is, Imagine Yourself Successful. And I've been talking about how that God spoke to me that I was limiting Him by my small thinking and stuff. And one of the biggest things that he got across to me was the way that I saw myself would not allow God to use me the way that he wanted to. And whether you realize it or not, you have an image of who you are and what you can do. And with the vast majority of people, your image is not formed by the Word of God and what God is saying about you, but instead we let this world paint a picture on the inside of us of who we are and what we can do. And I tell you, Satan is going to do everything he can to limit you, to limit what God can do with you. And you will not rise above the way that you see things on the inside. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 that says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the context of this is talking about when you're with a rich person, don't be deceived by his riches, by his dainties, don't be coerced, and on and on and on. It's not these external things. It's as he thinks in his heart. That's the way that he is. You have an image on the inside that determines what you can do. In a sense, it's like it's a governor on your life. Just as a governor on a vehicle, you know, if you hit a certain speed, it just kills the speed and you ha you can't go above that. Well, there is a governor on the inside of you and it's in your imagination. It's the way you see yourself. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because when the Lord spoke to me and really used Psalm 7841 back on January the 31st of 2002, one of the things that had happened to me, I hadn't seen myself really succeeding and reaching out and accomplishing all of the things that God had spoken to me. God had given me more information than what I had ever allowed myself to go there and see myself accomplishing. You know, I may not be communicating this well, but I'm trying to get across that you have to not only have information, you need to not only have the Lord say that you're going to do A, B, C, and D, but you have to see yourself doing that. You have to see yourself successful before you succeed. If you can't see it on the inside, you won't see it on the outside. And in my personal situation, God had given me a revelation that my ministry was going to grow, it was going to be worldwide, it was going to do these things, but I hadn't let myself see me doing it. And there's reasons for that. Part of it is because for decades I had been in a preparation stage and I just was focused on what I had at that moment to do and I couldn't just sit there and daydream about it in the future and neglect what God had given me to do at that time. For a period of time I pastored three small churches and I was on radio and I traveled and I did things and I was doing what God had me to do at that time and uh, it just wasn't appropriate to be sitting here daydreaming or imagining all of these other things and neglect what God had given me to do. But at the same time, you can't go anywhere in your physical bo body, in your life, you can't see things happen that you haven't already seen 
happening on the inside. And I had not been using my imagination the way that I should in order to reach out and accomplish things. Let me turn over to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. And this is a passage that has amazed me as I've meditated on this. And I think that there's a lot more to it than what I've gotten even now. I'm still getting things out of it. But Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, excuse me, I was in 23.6. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And did you know that in the Hebrew there, the word mind is translated from the word yetzer or yeser. Actually, I've looked this up in a number of different, uh, you know, Strong's and Young's concordance and different things. And some of them spell this word differently. But anyway, the word is the same word that was translated imagination. I think it was 12 times in the Old Testament. So what this is saying is the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. Now this is an amazing fact right here. Your imagination has to be stayed upon the Lord. Your imagination has to be influenced by the Lord. It has to be imagining what God has spoken to you coming to pass and not just, you know, the the things of this world. And sadly, a lot of us have let this world influence us in a way that just kills our imagination. Now, before I get into some of the specific teaching on this, let me just explain a couple of things. Your imagination is just your ability to see something with your mind that you can't see with your eyes. When you use the word imagination, there are some people that think it's talking about a fantasy, about just daydreaming and seeing things that uh, aren't real. That's not what I'm talking about. God created us with an imagination. And an imagination is a vital part of who we are. You know, if you were to give me directions, let's just say that right now you were here at my office and I was to ask you, how do you get out to the interstate? You would have to sit there and in your imagination, you would have to say, well, you go down this road, Forge Street, and you go down to the Garden of the Gods Road, you take a left, and then you would count and say, well, it's the, let's see, one, two, the third light down there is where you intersect with Interstate 25. And you know what? You don't. You probably haven't sat down and counted the number of lights, but in your imagination. It's just your ability to see things. You can't remember without an imagination. You know, if I was to ask you, what was the home that you grow, grew up in like? There's very few people that would have the same home that you had when you were a little kid. And so most of you, you wouldn't be able to see it right now, but in your imagination, you have a picture of that home and you could tell me what that home is like. Or let's take another example right now. Most of you have never sat down and counted the number of doors in your house. But if I was to ask you, how many doors do you have? How many exterior doors do you have in your house? Did you know you could tell me because you could count them? And it's not that you can see them, but you have a picture of that. In your mind, you could go through. I could say, how many windows do you have in your living room? And did you know most of you have never sat down and counted the number of windows, but you could do it because you have a picture of that in your mind. That's your imagination. 
When a woman makes a grocery list, you know what she does? She sits there and she sees herself walking down the aisles of this thing and she enters in and she in her mind is sitting there thinking about what's on that aisle, what do I need and stuff like this. Jamie and I went into a grocery store over in the UK and all we wanted was a bottle of water. Well, in the U.S., they put the water in different places than they put it in the U.K. And because we didn't picture the water being where it was, it took us nearly 20-something, nearly 30 minutes to walk up and down every single aisle in that grocery store and find the water because in the U.K., they put it in different places than they put it in the U.S. We had pictured it being in a different spot, and so we immediately went to where we were used to seeing things. All of that is your imagination, and it's not evil. Now, the the Scripture does talk about an evil imagination. It can become evil. You can get to where you picture defeat. And sadly, this is where most people live. Most people see themselves failing. Most people, if the doctor tells you that you're going to die, most people immediately picture themselves dying. They see somebody else who died with the same thing and they see themselves going through all of that. They will see their funeral. They will think about what is my funeral going to be like? What songs do I want? Have I provided for my kids? What's going to be with them? And most people, their imagination is geared towards the negative things. And so there is a negative imagination and I'll be talking about some of this. But imagination is also a very positive thing and you can't really function without an imagination. Even those of you that think that you are a total realist and you don't deal in the imagination at all, you deal with your imagination all the time. You couldn't get home if you didn't have an imagination. You'd forget. You can't remember anything. Let me just use one passage of Scripture. There's many passages of Scripture that cover all of these things. But look over here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This is David praying a prayer. And he had given an offering for the temple and it amounted to billions of dollars. And when the people saw how their king was so passionate towards this temple and he had given so much, they spontaneously began to start giving And it was such a huge offering. It was billions. I think it was somewhere around four to five billion dollars worth of gold and silver and precious stones and stuff. And when they saw this, uh, David was just overwhelmed and he began to pray a prayer. And he says, God, who are we to give to you like this? This nation at one time, we were slaves in Egypt. We came out with nothing. You gave us everything. And now we have this huge prosperity. We have all of this abundance. And he was praying that God would help the people to remember this. And let me just break in to the midst of this prayer in verse 17. This First Chronicles 29, 17. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. And I wanted to focus on that 18th verse where it says, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. In other words, what he's talking is help us to always remember this and the way you remember is by your imagination. 
Again, if I was to ask you, you know, what uh, was your favorite toy or something when you were a kid? You could picture that toy. You don't see, like, let's just say, for instance, you know, for a guy, it was truck. You don't see the letters T-R-U-C-K. Instead, you see that truck that was your favorite toy or if it's a girl doll or whatever. You see the image. You think in pictures. You remember in pictures. And so he says, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. This is kind of a separate teaching, but over in Second Peter, uh, there was twice that Peter said, I'm stirring you up by putting you in way of remembrance. Memory is a powerful, powerful force. Matter of fact, the Lord told the Israelites that they had forgotten his works and that's the reason that they went in and sinned and rebelled at God. Memory is a powerful force. Therefore, imagination is a powerful force because you can't remember anything without your imagination. Your imagination helps you to see and picture things. If you get instructions on how to assemble something, they will have written instructions, but they'll also have illustrations because the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, is absolutely true. And you may need to read the instructions to get the details, but you'll picture it. You'll see it. And I bet you every person has tried to do something and you just haven't been able to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes on and you see it. That's what you'll say. I see it. And once you see it on the inside, then you can make it happen. You know, this happened to me just this last week. I've got a lot of things I'm doing right now. And I, I was... I saw some things in my heart. I saw ways to accomplish things that I've been wanting to do. And I mean, I saw it. That's my imagination. And I now can see how to proceed and how to get some things done because I saw it in my imagination. You know, I built a deck on my house and it had multiple levels to it. I think three or four different levels. And I would go and put a five-gallon bucket down on just dirt out there and I would sit there and I would stare at that area for a long time until I saw what I wanted. I would see different things and I'd say, no, I don't like that. And I, and I was just sitting there. Jamie came out one time and said, what are you doing? Because I would sit on that bucket for hours looking at nothing. Nothing was changing. But I was seeing things in my heart. And when I finally saw what I wanted and got it the way I wanted, then I could go build it. You know, we're building a building up in Woodland Park, $53 million building. And you know what? They use blueprints. That is to help every person see the same thing on the inside. If all we did was just use words and say, I'd like a building that would do this and it would do that. You know what? People could come up with different ideas. But somebody, you sit down and you talk about it and then they begin to draw it out. And I remember sitting down with the architects as we were working on these buildings. And I said, no, this is what I want. And I would try and use words to paint a picture. But then they would write it down. And when they, when they wrote it out, when they drew these things, I'd look at it and I'd say, no, I didn't want this. I wanted this. And we all worked together until we got to where we could see the same things. You couldn't build an effective building if you didn't have blueprints. Well, in a sense, your imagination is how you develop blueprints for your life, for everything. You have an imagination, an image on the inside of you of who you are and what you can accomplish, how far you can go, 
what your limitations are. I tell you, I'm saying some really significant things here that I feel like I'm just rushing through this. But you need to meditate on this. You know, meditation. You know what meditation is? You take the Word of God and you get facts, but then when you meditate is when you sit back and you in your imagination see it come to pass. That You can't meditate on the Word of God without using your imagination. You know, I remember when I was a kid studying about David fighting Goliath and I read about, you know, he was so many cubits stuff and I got into a reference book and read that most people believe that's about nine foot six or something is how tall Goliath was. Some people say as much as 13, etc. But anyway, I'd say the average says about nine foot six. And so I went outside and marked a spot and measured where nine foot six was. And then I bent down some because most people believe that David was only five foot tall maximum. And so I looked at that. And you know what I was doing? I was imagining. I was meditating. Instead of it being just information and facts, I was seeing it. I remember when I did a tour of Israel and the bus stopped right there in the valley of Elah where David fought Goliath. And the scriptures describe that, you know, the armies were on these mountains roundabout. It's probably, I'm, I'm doing this just guessing, but it was at least two, maybe four miles, five miles across this huge valley and mountains all around it. And there were the troops on these mountains and then this huge valley in, in between where they were expecting to have this battle. And David went down and got him five smooth stones out of this, uh, you know, creek that ran through there. So when we stopped in that bus, it was a hot day, and they said, does anybody want to get out? Everybody wanted to stay on the bus but me. And you know what? I got out, and I walked down to where that little uh, dry riverbed was, and I picked up five smooth stones just like David did. And I stood there, and I looked at those stones, and then I looked up on those mountains, and I imagined what it was like for David to fight Goliath and what that scene was like. And, you know, it just made the story of David and Goliath come alive because my imagination was able to picture it so much better. We had people that went on that Israeli tour with me, and, I mean, they said the Bible has just come alive. There's such an anointing here. We feel so much closer to the Lord. The stories are so much more real. They're more vivid. And they were trying to somehow or another impute it to some anointing being on that place. We had people that I thought were just totally out of line that were just nearly overwhelmed with this is the place where Jesus stood and stuff. I don't believe that there is an anointing on that physical place. But you know what I believe it is? It makes everything come alive. It's your imagination. You think in pictures. And lots of people just read the Bible and it's words to them and they don't meditate and they don't see They have a hard time. Their imagination isn't developed the way that it should. So when they go to Israel and they see these places that they've read about, their imagination is able to now picture it much more vivid than what they were before. And that's the reason that it comes alive to them. Not that there is some special anointing on that piece of ground or anything like that. It is the, uh, it's just your imagination is able to picture and see things so much clearer. It makes it different. So I'm saying all of these things to say that your imagination is a vital part 
of you taking the limits off God. And if we can't begin to start using our imagination to start seeing what God says about you come to pass, then you are going to limit God big time. And this is one of the things that the Lord spoke to me. And so one of the things that I had to do in 2002, I had to start spending some time just sitting and imagining and seeing what God was saying about me coming to pass. I had to start dreaming bigger. You know, I just heard a statement. I wished I could quote this, but it was, it was by T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, and I forget the exact wording of it, but he was saying something about people who dream at night with their eyes closed, and then they wake up and they may or may not uh, impact them and follow through. But he says what's really dangerous is the person who dreams with their eyes open and then begins to pursue those things. And what that's talking about is your ability to see with your heart, to imagine and to see, dream big and to do things. Those are the people that change the world. Look at this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 6. This is uh, before the flood. And in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 5, it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now notice the wording here that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And because of that, it says in the next verse, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart And in verse 7 is where God said that He would destroy the earth with the flood and He saved only eight people alive. But notice that the Lord judged people for their imaginations. Now, I don't believe that most people actively pursue things with their imagination. They don't really understand the power of an imagination. And the imagination that they do have and use, they don't feel responsible for it. They feel like, I can't help the way that I think. If a person tells you that, you know, they they hate you, that they're going to do something to you and you get depressed and you see yourself rejected and stuff, most people think, well, I couldn't help it. Look what this person said or did. But God held people accountable for their imagination. And he said because their imagination was only evil, God destroyed the earth with a flood because of the imaginations of people. Now, I believe you could also say it was because of the way they were acting, but the acting is just a result of the way you think in your heart. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I believe that you can show that that thinking there isn't just talking about a function of the mind, but it's your imagination. As you have imagined things, if it's evil, that's what brought the destruction on the earth. Your imagination is something that God held us accountable for. And I don't believe that most people understand that. They don't feel like that they're accountable for the way they imagine and the way they picture and see themselves and other things. But that's what the Lord said. Over here in Genesis chapter 11, this is after the destruction of the earth with the flood and after men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, then they begin to start building the Tower of Babel And look at what happened here in Genesis chapter 11. It says in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city 
and the tower which the children of man builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is become one, or the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Well, the very terminology right here is really significant. Nothing can be kept back from what we imagine to do. Before you can do something, you have to imagine it. You can't do something that you have never seen yourself doing. Boy, there are a lot of people that you just haven't given a lot of thought to this and you may be questioning what I'm saying and saying, I'm not sure that's right. I can say on the authority of this and just multitudes of other scriptures. Let me use one other scripture over here in Hebrews chapter 11. And I believe that this is the exact same principle that is being laid down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15. This is talking about Abraham and Sarah. And it says, And they, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. This is linking their opportunity to rebel at God, to go against what God instructed them to do, being linked to what they think. And if they had not been mindful of that country, well, then they weren't even tempted. Every one of us could be a great man or woman of God if we were never tempted with any doubt and unbelief. Well, how does temptation come? Some people think it just, you can't help it, it just comes. No, it comes because of the way you think. If you can't see yourself failing, you won't fail. If you can't see yourself doing certain things, you won't do it. And again, I know that there's a lot of people, they do not put this importance on your imagination and so they disagree with that. But I believe it is absolutely true and I believe that that's exactly what this is saying. You know, I've used this example before, but I was raised in a Christian home. My brother and sister were raised in the same home. They had different experiences than I did. So it's not just totally your genes. It's not just the fact that, you know, I was raised in this environment. My brother and sister were in the same environment and yet they, they got into trouble and went away but from the Lord to a degree. They're both serving the Lord. They both love God now. But I'm saying uh, we all took different paths. I'm trying to say that it's not just outside external influence. But when I heard about loving God and serving God and not committing adultery and not being sexually immoral and not doing these things... You know what? I just took it to heart. I don't know all the reasons for it, but I did. And I've never departed. I've never gone out and done these things. And one of the things I was taught that, man, you needed to live a sexually pure life, that adultery was wrong and, uh, you know, promiscuity of all kinds. Sex before marriage was wrong. At prostitutes, this is not the right way to do things. So, I'd heard about those things the same as anybody else had, but they weren't for me. I never focused on it. I didn't meditate on that stuff. I didn't look at pornography. I didn't go to X-rated movies. I didn't do these things. And as a result, when I was 18 years old, I was traveling with my mother. We were headed to uh, uh, Switzerland to go to a Billy Graham meeting there. And I was part of a church group that we all went on this. And I left Texas and I went to New York. We spent the night and then we were going to fly out the next day for Europe. And this little boy from Texas had never been 
in the Big Apple before, and we were right on Times Square. We were staying in a hotel that was right there, and I mean, I was seeing things that I had never seen before, and it's a long story. It was a shock to my system, but I had this one guy come up to me, and he tried to sell me one of his girls. He was a pimp, and he tried to sell me this prostitute, and you know what? I guess I'd heard this stuff, but it wasn't for me. I had never meditated on it, and So he was, you know, using the lingo and trying to talk to me. And I said, what? I wasn't understanding. You want to do what? And (laughs) anyway, this guy talked to me for a few minutes. And after a while, I remember he turned around, shook his head and threw up his hands like this. Like, what rock did this guy crawl out from under? And he just walked off and left me. And I went back to the hotel room and I was staying with these guys. And I got to telling them what this guy had been saying to me, and they had to explain to me that he was trying to hook me up with a prostitute. And you know what? My point is that because I couldn't see it, I hadn't meditated on that, I wasn't savvy to the lingo and stuff, I wasn't the least bit tempted. It never was a temptation. I didn't have to white-knuckle it and say, Oh, God, please help me to stay true to you. Because you can't be tempted with what you don't think. That's what uh, Hebrews eleven fifteen is saying. Truly, if they had been mindful of the country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. To, the, add, to um, Abram and Sarah returning with sin, disobeying God. So you could say that their temptation for sin was linked to what they think. If you don't think on things that gender sin you won't commit sin. You have to, first of all, go there in your mind before you can go there in your body. This is why pornography and things like this are so detrimental because somebody might think, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just looking at these pictures. But I guarantee you those pictures are painting images in your imagination. You are committing adultery. You are going places that you should not go. And they they will ultimately lead you to that action. And even for some reason, if you never commit the action, we just read over there in Genesis chapter 6 how God judged people because the imagination of their heart was evil continually. It's wrong in God's sight for you to even imagine it, to go there in your mind. And yet people do this all of the time. They don't put the importance on the way you think. They just think it's all about action. As long as I never do this, it's okay. doesn't matter what I think. Your actions are ultimately a byproduct of the way you think, and your imagination is how you think. You know, I've used this before, but if I said dog to you, you don't see the letters D-O-G, but instead you see a dog. You picture a dog. You think in pictures. And some of you might picture a little dog or a big dog or a black dog or a white dog. With my words, I can help clarify that picture. I said, everybody think of a big dog. Now a big black dog. Now a big black mean dog. And you know, by me using words, I can just change that image on the inside of you and get to where we're all seeing the same thing. But you don't think in letters. You don't say B-I-G, B-L-A-C-K. D-O-G. You don't see things like that. You see it in pictures. You think in pictures. That's your imagination. The dictionary defines imagination 
as your ability to see something that isn't present with you at that exact time. It's the ability to see with your mind's eye and you think in pictures and your imagination is a powerful force. And going back to Genesis chapter 11, the Lord was actually threatened by the imagination of men. And he says, we've got to do something. We, let's confound their language because now nothing that they have imagined will be restrained from them. Did you know that our imagination is the creative part of us? As a matter of fact, I use this verse over in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. And that word mind is the word Y-E-T-S-E-R, and it's the exact same word that was translated imagination, uh, I think 12 times in the Old Testament. And here's what it means in the Strong's Concordance. It means conception. That is purpose. Did you know that this Hebrew word for mind is talking about the imagination and it says it's conception? You know, in the same way that children don't come by the stork, they have to be conceived. A seed has to be planted and then it has to grow and mature and finally the birth comes. But there is a conception process. Everything, if you want to stop the birth of a child, stop the conception. Quit trying to use abortion to limit the birth. Instead, just don't ever conceive and I guarantee you, you will not have a child if you do not conceive it. Likewise, if we would deal with the conception of sin, and it starts in our thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that is talking about your imagination. If you could control your imagination, you could control your actions. That's where everything is conceived. And so not only can you limit the birth of certain things by stopping the conception, but you can guarantee the birth of certain things if you would just imagine the right things. If you would let the Word of God paint a picture on the inside of you of who you are, what you have, and what you can do. And I believe that this is the reason that the Bible has so many stories about people who came from nothing, people who came from failure, and were just totally changed and made a total difference in the world. And it's these stories. It, it gives you a picture. It gives you something to aim at. This is why Jesus taught by parables because he used something that people could see to illustrate something that they couldn't see and it helped them to imagine. The Word of God is compared to a seed and that's a great illustration about how the Word of God works and it's to help your imagination. I'm telling you, your imagination is a powerful force. And let me relate all of this back to what I was talking about, about how I was limiting God with my imagination for multiple reasons. I just would not let myself see me succeeding in doing all of the things that I knew God had called me to do. But they had been off in the future, so part of it was I just knew that it was off in the future. It wasn't for me at that moment. And so I was just taking care of business and focused on what I needed to be doing at that time. That was part of it. But I also had a fear that I was going to be rejected, criticized. I had to deal with that. But also I had a fear that somehow or another if I saw myself succeeding and accomplishing all of the goals that God had given me that it would cause me to be lifted up with pride or something. And so one of the ways that I avoided 
that was just to never allow myself to go there. And God spoke to me and told me that I was limiting him through my imagination, the way I saw myself. And I needed to start seeing myself differently. I needed to see myself succeeding. I had to change my imagination. I had to start dreaming bigger. Another thing that's been really influential in my life is getting around other people who are believing bigger than I am. I was just with some people this last week. You know, I'm believing for $53 million to complete this building project. I was just with some people the last week who are believing God for $1.2 billion. <laughs> Amen. And you know what? When I get around them, it just puts everything in a different perspective. Not to be critical of anybody here on my staff, but you know what? When I'm talking about believing God for $53 million, most people just, they may not even say anything, but their eyes get big. They glaze over. I'll make, uh, I'll hear comments like, boy, we better get with it. We've got a lot. And it's just, it's overwhelming. And by doing that, it makes me feel like, am I going too far? Am I believing for too much? And then you get around somebody who's believing for $1.2 billion and it just makes my $53 million seem like nothing in comparison. And you know what? That's good for me. I need to hang out with people who are believing for things bigger than what I'm believing for. It stretches me and it expands my imagination and helps me to see things bigger. I was around a minister just recently who was believing for $59 million. When I told him I was believing for $53 million, oh man, that's nothing compared to what I'm believing for. And you know what? That helped me. It makes a difference. I love hanging around visionaries, people who are believing for big things because it stretches me and encourages me. So if you're agreeing with some of these things that I'm saying and you realize that you are limiting God in your imagination... You need to hang around people who are believing God for bigger things. If you're believing God, you know, for something like in missions work, you ought to find somebody who's already done that, who's doing it, and you need to get around them, and it will change your imagination, the way you see things. If you're believing for something in the financial realm, find somebody who's already prospering more than that and get around them, and it will affect the way you do things. And, of course, ultimately, you go to the Word of God and even if you can't find a mentor or a person who's doing something specifically like what God's called you to do, you can always go to the Word of God and you can find people who just overcame obstacles, overcame any kind of problem that you can possibly imagine. It's all in here. And if you will read it and not only take the words, but then meditate on it until you see these things for you. It'll paint a picture on the inside and you can go to believing bigger and I guarantee you all things are possible to him that believes. If you can believe it, you can have it. Nothing will be restrained unto you which you imagine to do. That's huge. Let me share this passage of scripture with you out of Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 17 he says, But this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You know, I spent an entire year meditating on uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 down through 24. An entire year. And the only time I'd go to other scriptures was in relation to this. I got so much out of this. There's no way I can share all of this with you. But real briefly, let me just say that when I saw the vanity 
of their mind. I looked that up in the Greek and it, and it means the transientness and inutility of your mind. Transient just means it's not focused. It's not staying someplace. You know, when we used to refer to people who didn't have a home, we'd call them transients. That's because they didn't dwell any place. They were just in all these different places. When you are talking about the transientness of your mind, it's that you aren't focused. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the keys to success is being focused. A transient mind is an unfocused mind where you're multitasking. You're doing all of these different things, but you aren't focused on what God called you to do. It says, don't be like the Gentiles. The word Gentile here is just referring to a person that wasn't one of God's people. Don't be like the people that don't know God who aren't focused on the things of God. They're focused on all of these things of the world. And the other uh, definition of this was the inutility of your mind. That just means you aren't utilizing your mind properly. And there's a lot of things I could say about this, but your imagination is a part of this. You've got to utilize your imagination. It is a powerful force. As I've already shared over in Genesis chapter 11, the Lord was actually threatened by the imagination of men. He says, we've got to confound their languages because now nothing that they have imagined will be restrained from them. And your imagination is where you conceive things. Isaiah 26, 3, that word for mind there, it literally means conception. Your imagination is where you conceive things. And so the Lord had to confound the languages of people to hinder their imagination. So it says you need to use your mind. And in the positive way, we need to start using our imagination to see what God says about us, about our marriage, about our finances, about our careers, about other people that we're praying for. We need to use our imagination to see these things on the inside and then we will see them on the outside. And the next verse it, let me just go back and say, don't be like the Gentiles or the people that don't know the Lord walking in the vanity of their mind. And in verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Again, I spent a year meditating on this. This is just rich with some great things. But it says, if your understanding is darkened, then you are alienated from the life of God. Boy, that's a strong, strong passage of Scripture. There are so many people praying for the life of God to be manifest in their life, and yet they're alienated from it because they don't understand. If your understanding is darkened, you are alienated and separated from the life of God. Well, that is a powerful statement. And very few people who are wanting to see God's power demonstrated in their life are trying to change the way they think. They just think it's up to praying and begging God and getting God to move. But the way that change comes is by you changing the way you think. You start understanding the Word of God and walking in the Word of God, and I guarantee you it is inevitable that you will have the change that you desire. I've got an entire tape series entitled Effortless Change that is on this same thing, that you take the Word of God, plant it in your heart, and it just effortlessly brings the change that you need. But it's through the renewing of your mind. 
So it says that the understanding is dark and that alienates you from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of your heart. Your heart becomes blind. You can't see and perceive anything. Now some people, you know, we use these words poetically and sometimes we don't think about it. But you can see with your heart. Some of you struggle to understand this, but you can see things with your heart. You can actually see better with your heart than you can see with your physical eyes. And I know some of you right now are thinking, oh, no, that's not true. Well, it is true. I'm not perfect in this, but I have seen things in my heart. Like, again, I've used this example, but we just built a building up in Woodland Park. I saw that on the inside. Now I can see it with my eyes, but it was more real to me. It was as real or probably more real before there was any tangible evidence of it. I saw it in my heart. I can see this next building. I can tell you all about it. I've seen it on the inside. You can see things with your heart. You know, I've used this example before. If you're one of those that watches my program often, you've heard this, but it is just classic example for me that we were holding a uh, meeting with about two or three hundred people. It was for our Bible college. There, It was in a hotel. There was a center aisle and I was sitting in a seat right on the front row, the right hand side by that center aisle. And over to my left, there were these two doors that had these closers on them. And uh, there was people in this auditorium. And We were worshiping the Lord. And I mean, it was a powerful time of worship. And with my eyes closed, my physical eyes were closed. But in my heart, I just saw the Lord grab those doors and just throw them open. I mean, they went wham like that. And then Jesus stepped through those doors and stood in front of him. And then those closers slowly closed those doors behind him. And then I saw Jesus walk over and touched these two ladies that I knew, and he touched one on the forehead, and I mean, she just fell flat of her face on the floor, spread eagle, just worshiping the Lord. Then he skipped two people. He walked over and touched another one on her forehead, and she fell to her knees and put her hands up in the air. And what I was seeing with my eyes closed, I was seeing with my heart, just like this talks about, that their heart was darkened. Well, the opposite of that was that my heart was seeing. And with my heart, I saw these things and it was so real to me that I opened up my physical eyes to look over there and see what I could see. And at the moment I looked, these doors just wham, they slung open exactly like I'd seen in my heart, but I couldn't see Jesus. And then these doors just slowly closed. And then as I kept looking, this first woman just hit her face, spread eagle on the ground, worshiping the Lord. The other one, she hit her knees and lifted her hands. And did you know everything I had seen with my heart, I saw with my physical eyes, but the difference was I could only see what was happening in the physical. I couldn't see the spiritual with my eyes open. I couldn't see Jesus. With my eyes closed, I'd seen the doors open and Jesus stand there. And I saw Jesus touch these women. All I could see with my eyes were the physical things. I saw the doors open, but no Jesus. I saw the women hit the ground and praise God, but I didn't see Jesus touch them. And did you know I actually could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. And so I closed my eyes. And in my heart, 
I saw the Lord come up to me and He spoke some things to me. And then I saw Him just go down that center aisle and start touching people. And I heard what He said to them. And after the meeting was over, I went up to people. I didn't tell them anything that I'd seen with my heart. And I just said, what happened during that service? And they'd say, oh, the Lord told me this. The Lord said this. And it was exactly what I'd heard God tell them. I know some of you think that's weird. But I believe that this is the way that God created us to be. I believe that Adam and Eve were so in the spirit realm. They were seeing with their heart that this is the reason that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that when they ate of the forbidden fruit, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. Does that mean that they had been walking around with their eyes closed prior to that time? No, their eyes were open. They saw, it says in Genesis 3, 6 that the woman saw the tree that it was good. That's talking about she saw it with her eyes. Their eyes were open, but they weren't dominated by what they saw. They were living by the Spirit. They were seen with their heart more than they were seen with their eyes. And they were so walking in the Spirit and seeing with their heart that Adam and Eve had never even noticed that they were naked before. Now that is walking in the Spirit. And you know what? This is what it was talking about. And I believe that God created us to be this way. That the way people are today where they can't see anything except what they see with their eyes. God didn't make you to be that way. He gave you an imagination. And in your heart, you can see things with your heart that you can't see with your eyes. And that is where you conceive things, whether it's good or bad. And you can turn this around and start using it for good. You can start seeing what God has said about you coming to pass. Even when there's no physical proof of it, you can see it in your heart. You know, Jamie and I did this. God put in our heart that He was going to have us minister to large amounts of people. There are certain scriptures, like one of them that Jamie had when we first got married, uh, I forget the exact verse right now, but it says that I'll praise God in the great congregation. And God spoke that to Jamie and she saw us ministering to a great congregation, to millions and millions of people. And on and on I could go just giving these things. And through those things, it painted a picture on the inside. When Jamie and I first got into ministry, we, went, we pastored three little churches for six years and the largest crowd that we ever had was 100. And I mean, that was the largest. For two years, we never had over 12. And we just struggled. And we couldn't see with our physical eyes the things that we were seeing on the inside. But as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. It was that vision in our heart. It was seeing with our heart that kept us going and that kept us on track during those times that we couldn't see it with our physical eyes. We saw ourselves prosperous. We saw ourselves blessing other people and having our needs met. And we went for years without having our physical needs met, but we still saw it on the inside. You know, this is a battle that we fight. If you don't see the finances coming in the way that they need to, there is a tendency for you to see yourself poor. There's a tendency for you to talk poor, to act poor. But by the grace of God, Jamie and I took the word and we always saw ourselves prosperous. We always saw ourselves as givers. We started giving away our tapes. We've now given away, I don't even know, 20 to 30 million books, tapes, CDs, DVDs, 
other things. We give them to people and say, give if you can. If you can't, we'll give it to you anyway. We've given away tens of millions of dollars of things, and we started doing that when we didn't have anything. I mean, it was a struggle for us to give, but we saw ourselves prosperous even when we weren't in the natural. We saw ourselves that way. You know, you've got to see yourself well, even when the doctor says you're sick. You've got to see your marriage as working, even when in the natural it may look bad. And there's people listening to me right now that says, well, man, you're just talking about denying reality and you're over here in la-la land and you aren't facing reality. I'm not saying that you deny what happens in the natural, but you just deny that that's all that there is. You say that there's more to it. God, there's, there's a spiritual world and God is working and I believe that things are working out and you have to focus on that. And by faith, you have to see success instead of failure. If you see yourself failing, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you will fail. I've actually known people that in the natural had enough talent and ability that they should have succeeded, but on the inside they saw themselves a failure. They were told they'd never amount to anything. They were told that things were wrong. Their previous mate, their parents, life, previous employers or whatever just, you know, dumped on them. And they accepted that evaluation of other people and they saw themselves as a failure. And even though they had the potential and the ability that they should have prospered, they wouldn't because as you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. And I'm not saying that everything in your life is the way that it's supposed to be. But I am telling you this, that if you see yourself succeeding, and I'm not talking about you just picking your own thing and doing your own thing, but if you let God take His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit show you how He wants you to succeed and you to prosper, and if you get that revelation from God and see that happening in your life, it is just a matter of time until it comes to pass. I can guarantee that you will be the way that you think in your heart. You either are right this moment or you are in the process of becoming the way you think in your heart, not what other people have done unto you. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, that's the way that he is. Your life is going the direction of your dominant thoughts and I've been talking specifically about your imagination how you see yourself on the inside. God has a plan for every single person. He has a plan for everyone's life. And I can guarantee you it's bigger than what you've seen. I don't believe any of us have maxed God out. It's bigger. But before we can go there in our physical body, you have to go there in your mind, in your imagination. It's like if you were in a mine, you can't just walk through dirt and rock. You have to go dig out a place and extract that dirt and then you can walk into that tunnel. But you just can't start walking. You got to dig this out. Well, likewise, you can't go anywhere in your physical body that you haven't already been there in your mind. That's the reason. Don't let your mind wander and imagine things that you don't want. Discipline yourself. But not only the negative, don't not do those things, but at, on the positive side, you need to see yourself doing what God called you to do. You know, if you'd be honest with yourself right now, have you 
seen what God's purpose for your life is. Many of you just draw a blank right now. Well, the next step for you is you need to get a word from God and find out what His purpose and plan for your life is. But there are some of you that know what God's purpose is and yet you haven't seen it fulfilled in your physical life and you haven't been sitting there with your imagination letting the Word of God paint a picture of you succeeding. And you need to start devoting some time to this. You need to give yourself to it. Let me use this passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 3 it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." Notice verse 5 talks about casting down imagination and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Imaginations here are talked about as one of the strongholds, one of the things that Satan uses against us. I use uh, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 where the Lord said that the, every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. I used uh, Genesis chapter 11, I believe it's verse 6, where he says, Now nothing that they've imagined will be restrained. And so God came down to limit their imagination. You can find other scriptures where it talks about that he scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And all but one reference that I'm aware of in scripture about imagination is negative. If imagination is as powerful as what I've been portraying, well, then why doesn't the Bible use positive imagination? And, you know, I was wondering about this and praying about it, and I came across this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Let me read this to you. In verse 24, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see it not, then do we with patience... Wait for it. And as I was reading these verses, I thought, hope is seeing something with your heart that you can't see with your eyes. It says, if you can see it, then it's no longer hope. So in other words, hope is seeing something that cannot be seen. And as I meditated on that, that is the exact definition of imagination. The dictionary says that an imagination is the ability to see something not real or present. In other words, you see it with your heart, and that's what I've been talking about. And it just dawned on me that, you know what, I believe that a positive imagination in Scripture is called hope. That's what hope is. It's not that the Bible doesn't talk about a positive imagination. It just has ascribed the name hope to that because this is what hope is. Hope is seeing something with your heart that you can't see with your eyes. You're hoping for something. In uh, Romans chapter 4, it talks about Abraham who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. In other words, there was nothing in the natural to give hope, and yet he believed in hope. He had hope when there was no hope in the natural. When he was way past childbearing age, when his wife was past childbearing age, he still had hope of things that there was no physical proof or evidence of. And you know what that was? That was an imagination. Abraham saw himself the father of many, many children. You know, there's many places, but in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord said, if you can count the stars in the sky or if you can number the grains of sand on the seashore, 
so shall your seed be. And I believe one of the reasons that the Lord used those two examples for Abraham is because of his imagination. Abraham didn't live the way that we do today. He didn't live in a house to where he, you know, was always inside and couldn't see the stars. He was a nomad. He lived in tents and he sat outside at night and every single night, unless it was cloudy or something, he saw the stars. Plus, he didn't have boots the way that I do. He wore sandals and he got his feet dirty every day. He got sand on his feet and every day he had to wash his feet. And so every day he was thinking and looking at those grains of sand he was having to deal with this. And, and God gave him two things that day and night reminded him that your children are going to be as numerous as these stars in the sky, as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore, so shall your seed be. And he even changed his name from, from you know, like a distinguished father to the father of many nations. And every time somebody asked Abram what his name was, oh, I'm the father of many nations and yet he didn't have any children. But God, see, used those words and these illustrations to quicken and activate his imagination. And I believe that every night as Abraham sat out and looked at the stars, he thought, that's how numerous my children are going to be. Every time he saw dirt, he saw, that's how numerous my children are going to be. And because of it, it says in Romans chapter 4 that he against hope believed in hope. God's word gave him hope, and he had a hope. He had a vision. In his imagination, he didn't see himself childless. He saw himself having multitudes of children, and because he had hope, it came to pass. You know, over in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We often elevate faith and, you know, if a person, you, you say, are you healed? Well, I hope so. And man, often you'll hear faith people just jump on them like, you shouldn't be hoping, you ought to believe. And we put down hope. But it says here that faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't first have hope, then your faith can't bring substance to it, reality, tangibility to it. Faith only brings into being what has already been hoped for. Hope is the conception process. It's how you start it. Faith is how you get it manifest, but hope is how it gets started. You know, there's a lot of people that honestly, they aren't to the place of believing that they're healed yet, but you ought to start by hoping that you're healed. You ought to say, well, I'm not sure that I'm totally in faith, but man, I hope that I'm being healed. And you ought to start imagining yourself well. You need to take every example of people that have overcome sickness. Like, you know, we have lots of DVDs that show people that have been raised from the dead, people that have been raised up off their deathbed, people that have been paralyzed that were healed, people, you know, just all of these things. You ought to take those things and start looking at that and start building a hope and say, I may not be to the place that I believe it, but I hope. I see it in other people and I'm hoping that's going to happen to me. Now, that's not an ending place. You've got to go beyond hope into faith where it brings substance, but your faith will only bring substance to things hoped for. You know, Charles Capps used this example. He said he gave a story about a man who went to a meeting 
And he was in this uh, meeting where there was lots of people. It was hot. People were beginning to fan themselves. And so this guy, he was, a, he was from the backwoods. He hardly ever came out into civilization. And he just didn't know anything about any modern conveniences. And so here he was fanning himself in this meeting. And one of the ushers came up and turned this dial on the wall next to him. And within just a minute or two, this guy started feeling cold air blow on him. And so this guy thought that's the slickest thing he'd ever seen in his life. So he went up to this usher after the meeting was over and said, what was that thing on the wall that you touched? And he said, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, you turn that thing and it started cool air blowing. He said, oh, that's a thermostat. And he says, where can you get a thermostat? And he says, you can buy a thermostat at any hardware store. And so this guy from the backwoods, he went to a hardware store. He bought a thermostat. He went back to his shack and hung it on the wall, and when it started getting hot, he went over there and turned the thermostat, and guess what? No cold air blew because he didn't have the power unit, the air conditioner that actually cooled the air. All he had was the thermostat that controlled the power unit. You have to have both. And Charles Capps was relating that to the relationship between faith and hope. Hope is like the thermostat. If you don't have hope, your faith won't ever turn on and kick in and produce what you need. You've got to have hope as the first step. But then it has to go beyond that to where it becomes faith and then faith brings reality to it. But there's a lot of people, see, that have just never allowed themselves to hope. Sadly, when people go to the doctor, one of the very first things that the doctor is going to do is try and take all hope away from you. I don't want to get your hopes up and they give you the worst case scenario because, you know, it's because of liability issues and they could be sued. And if you don't take something seriously and don't follow their directions, it could come back on them. So they'll always paint the worst case scenario and they don't want to get your hopes up. Man, the very thing you need to do is to get your hopes up. You know, we have a testimony by Connie Weiskopf and she's a lady who came to me for healing of cancer and when she came down with this cancer, all of her friends said, you got to go learn everything you can learn about this cancer. And the Lord spoke to her and said, no, I've got to learn everything I can about healing. And so she got hold of my materials and she started meditating on healing and I prayed with her and she was healed of cancer. But that's the right thing to do. See, most people, they want to find all of the negatives and then what happens, your imagination gets to seeing you suffer and it gets to seeing you dying, and it gets to seeing you have all of these negative things. But instead, we need to use our imagination to see ourselves well and to see ourselves overcoming this. Instead of researching every person who's died, every person who's struggled, every person who has a bad experience with this disease, you need to go and find somebody who's believed God and been healed of that. And I can guarantee you there are people that have been healed of every single thing. I was recently talking to a young man who had Asperger's syndrome, a form of um, autism. And he was just devastated. And he had seen other people healed. He didn't doubt that God healed, but he thought Asperger's syndrome was just too bad. It couldn't be dealt with. He didn't know anybody else who had it. And it just so happened that in our school in Colorado Springs, we got Timothy McDermott, one of two boys, uh, brothers, that were healed. Deborah McDermott, we've got a, one of the Healing Journeys videos about this and she came to me and her two sons, I think at the time they were something like 
12 and 10 or something like that. And they had just been tormented. They weren't able to leave the home. They couldn't go anywhere and do anything natural like a normal family could. And yet she got hold of the Word of God believed. And now Timothy McDermott is 100% whole. They had the father actually show the uh, release from the UK medical system that says that they are totally free, that these diagnoses no longer apply to them. And Timothy and his brother James are just totally normal and healed. And Timothy went to our school over in the UK and now he is living here in the United States by himself, a boy that at one time had Asperger's syndrome and just could not function, couldn't even leave the house. Now he's living on the other side of the world from his family, living by himself, coming to our Bible college and just doing great. That's awesome. And you know what? As I was talking to this boy with Asperger's syndrome, what I did was show him a person who's been healed of it and tell him to get that DVD and watch it. And you know what that does? That affects your imagination. It affects your hope. All of a sudden, now there's hope. Instead of just listening to the doctors that this is incurable, nobody's ever been healed of that. That's not true. I've got a video of people that have been healed of it. And if people would watch that, you know what that does? That builds hope in them. That may not produce enough faith for them to be able to get the healing on their own. They need to go to the Word of God and learn how faith works and learn how to start working it. But just getting the hope is an important part. You know, it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about God's kind of love, that it hopes all things, it endures all things, it believes all things, it bears all things. Love never fails. If you really understood how much God loved you and that He is Almighty God, it should build hope on the inside of you that your situation is not hopeless. You know, we've got another video about the Teradez family and little Hannah. She was three and a half years old when she first came to me. And she had an autoimmune type problem that she, she had never eaten solid food. Three and a half years old, had never eaten solid food in her life. And they had to puree everything. And she eventually got to where she rejected that and they had put a feeding tube into her and they were giving her this saline solution trying to keep her alive. She was three and a half years old wearing the clothes of a nine-month-old. Her uh, hair was falling out. Her skin was translucent. She was on her deathbed. And the doctors uh, told Ashley and Carly just to take her home because there was nothing more that they could do. They expected her to die and never expected to see her alive again. But you know what? We prayed with them. And praise God, she got totally healed. And now, I was just with Hannah the other day. She's now 12 years old, just a happy kid. And I mean praising God and God's doing great things. And we have that on DVD. And what this does, it builds hope in people. That if God could heal that, somebody that the doctor sent home to die, then God could heal them. We've got another testimony about a little girl that was born without all of her heart. She only had a portion of a heart and no ribs or not all of her ribs and certain arteries to her lungs missing. And anyway, her parents believed and she's healed. And you know what? You, you see that and see her. At the time we made the video, she was three or four years old at that time. She's probably six or seven now. I'm not sure. But you see that. And you know what it does? It builds hope on the inside of you. 
We need hope. And yet the doctors are just constantly giving you the worst case scenario and saying this is impossible. And yet I've given you three or four examples today of people that the doctors said were going to die and yet they live and they're alive. You know what that does? That builds hope. And now you need to start seeing yourself living. Quit letting the doctors paint an image on the inside of you being dead and, and just wasting away and being in terrible agony and pain and all of these things. Quit seeing your family living without you. Quit making funeral arrangements in your own head and instead start using your imagination to see what God's Word says that He has delivered you from all sickness and all disease. That man, all things are possible and you start taking the Word of God and letting that paint an image and see yourself well and see yourself traveling and giving testimony about how you've been miraculously healed. See yourself giving testimony about how your marriage was miraculously put together. Take the Scriptures... Take examples in the Word of God about how God restored relationships, how God raised people from the dead, about how God healed people, about how God delivered people, about how God supplied their needs. Whatever your situation is, go to the Word of God and take these things and get this information and then meditate on it until you see God doing for you what He did for them. See, this is one of the keys. You, it, you can't just see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, even though that's wonderful. You need to see yourself raising Lazarus from the dead because the Bible says that the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. John fourteen twelve. You have to see yourself laying hands on the sick. You have to see yourself calling Lazarus forth. You need to see yourself doing these things. And you're going to have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. You know, I took that very verse, John 14, 12, that says the works that Jesus did will do also. And I got to meditating on that and I got to realizing that I hadn't seen the dead raised. I hadn't seen some of these things happening yet God said I would. So you know what I did? I started meditating on raising the dead. I took every instance in the Bible where a person was raised from the dead and I wrote it out and I started meditating on that all the way from Elijah all the way up to where Paul raised people from the dead. And I started not only seeing them raise people from the dead, but I saw myself raising people from the dead the way that they did, where you lay upon the body and it waxes warm and then they sneeze seven times and get up, where, you know, you call Lazarus forth out of the tomb, where you tell Jairus' daughter, uh, Talitha Kumai, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And I saw myself doing these things and I meditated on it and I got to seeing myself doing it. And you know, within a short period of time, I got to where I was dreaming about it. At night, I would see a dozen people raised from the dead every night in my dreams. And it wasn't very long after that until I had a man in our church in Pritchett, Colorado die. And I went over and I saw him raised from the dead. And I don't think that those things are disconnected. I spent months meditating and seeing with my heart people being raised from the dead. And then I saw it with my physical eyes. And then I saw another man in Kansas City raised from the dead, but I went nearly a decade or something like that that I didn't see anybody raised from the dead. And 
One day I was meditating on John 14, 12, and I thought, you know, I did this before. I think I'm going to do it again. And I just started meditating on raising people from the dead, took all of the examples, and then I saw myself raising people from the dead. And it was just a matter of weeks after that that I started dreaming again about raising people from the dead. And then my own son died and was dead for nearly five hours. And because I had meditated on this and I had seen myself doing it, I was able to see my son raised from the dead after being dead for nearly five hours, stripped naked, in a morgue, on a slab, in a freezer with a toe tag on, raised from the dead because I saw it on the inside. You can't see it on the outside until you see it on the inside. So whatever it is that you're believing God for, don't just in desperation petition God and beg Him for it, but then see yourself failing and see yourself dying, see yourself poor, see your marriage falling apart, but pray for it and then see God intervening in your situation and focus your attention on the positive and see yourself well, see these victories. And I tell you, that's the power of imagination. And if you don't do that, you're going to limit God. I tell you, these are some powerful, powerful things I've shared with you. 